0: Today I am joined by Andy, a.k.a. Data Driven Piston Fan. Once more, we're trying to do this every week where we talk about Pistons and some issue Pistons related, even if it relates to the general NBA. And today we are talking about the scrap heap and why the Pistons haven't been able to find anybody on a scrap heap. Is there anybody here in this offseason cycle that they can find? We'll define what the scrap heap is. Let's get going. We'll Once again, I'm here with my guy, Andy, a.k.a. Data Driven Piston Fan. Andy, tell the people where they can find you. You can find
1: me at Twitter at D underscore D underscore Pistons underscore fan. Still enjoying playoff basketball, not doing much for the Pistons till we figure out where the, the ping pong balls bounce. And then we kind of have a direction for our, our future
0: maybe Charles Lee to the Pistons will be announced soon. I'm, I'm rooting for the box. I'm always rooting for the Bucks, So it's sad to see them go, but Hey, maybe it, it helps out the Pistons soon.
1: Yeah, I would, I would like to see him too. And I mean, off the subject, but what did you think of, of Giannis's, opinion on on failure when they got eliminated from the the playoffs did you see that or did you not i did that? yeah
0: i did so i would like to ask anybody out there if you're going to criticize Giannis every time you fail at your work imagine there's somebody there asking you the same question about why you're a failure like you. I, I think that was a generous response. He could have snapped on this person. And his, his thing of like, I remember you asked this last year again, it has to be incredibly annoying that every time you fail, you fail in a playoff series, they're there being like, hey, you know, why are you such a failure? And it's just like, come on, man. Um, and I think there's like a better generous way to answer that. So And what do you expect him to say? He's frustrated, right? He's frustrated that they didn't get it done. Probably frustrated mostly at himself. I think he shot like 43.2% from the free throw line. That was one of the biggest differences in the series. So... Yeah, just frustrating, and I mean, I feel i I just I don't really criticize much about Giannis either, because again, if you just have somebody in in your face every single time you fail, being like, "Why are you a failure?" Like, you're gonna snap, right? Or you're just gonna be like, "Why are you asking me this again?" Come on.
1: Yeah, and two of those games I think were overtime losses, if I remember right. And it's like a ball bounces the other way, and they win that series, and it's not a big deal. But that's that's the nature in sports, you know. It was. It was a good series.
0: Yeah, and I mean, you think of somebody like Clyde Drexler, who just failed again and again and again at the and the Trailblazers. They made it to the finals that one year, and then Jordan laughed in their face. Then he ends up on the Rockets, and he and Hakeem win two titles. So it's like, come on, you never know. Um, and I think we just. We're spoiled too much with LeBron and with Steph Curry, who like they consistently do it again and again. So now the benchmark is, oh, you're an MVP candidate every single year. Why aren't you winning rings like Steph? Why aren't you winning rings like LeBron? How come you've only won one title?
1: Yeah, there, uh, there's going to be a lot of people who are going to be like the the players during Jordan's era that were amazing, never got a ring. And that's because Steph and LeBron took all of them. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah pretty much yeah so today we are talking about the scrap heap so last time with andy and i we talked about the pistons uh rebuild and we looked through some other situations of like hey at the end of year three you know these teams had these players or like hey in year four they had these players and one of the things we kept coming up with is like the you know this team found so and so on the scrap heap is what you heard us say so we want to kind of highlight guys that we think should be the- Taking a chance on or you should give a chance on to where they're not thought of highly or they're not thought of at all. Like, hey, I think this guy would fit in well. Obviously, we're Piston guys. So we're thinking of this in terms of the Pistons. But we also brought names that were like, we think this player would fit in great on just about any team and can fill in. And I know this the scrap heap, it sounds kind of derogatory. But these are players that, again, either nobody is thinking of or that nobody really like think things can give another chance to give you some examples. Like from last week, when we talked about Cleveland along the way, they found Dean Wade and Lamar Stevens on the undrafted free agent pool. I like I bet there were so many people that didn't even know who Dean Wade was until this year. Again, why we say the scrap heap is it's an undrafted free agent. So obviously nobody wanted to pick them, but also being able to dig deep for a name like that where they have skills But you really, really, really have to dig into the heap of players that are out there. John Concar is another example over on the Memphis Grizzlies. Again, a name that really wasn't thrown out there. If you want to look back in NBA history, there are two teams that are really, really good at this, of like pulling guys off the scrap heap of leftovers that nobody wanted, either in the undrafted free agent pool or even in the free agent pool out there. Um, the Golden State Warriors are one that come to mind recently. Damon Lee and Sean Livingston are probably the two best examples. They've also pulled Gary Payton II. The They've also pulled uh, Juan Toscano Anderson. All, all these guys are role players, obviously, but they helped them win titles. And Livingston is a good example of a free agent because he was in Brooklyn. This is post his injury, so he doesn't have that explosiveness anymore seems to be like the complete opposite of what the Warriors would want as he's doesn't shoot threes. He's just weird like I'll back you down in the post and hit you with these baseline jumpers, but they understood his value and what he could bring in the second unit. And he was one of the more integral players to their early title runs. The other organization that is the absolute best at doing this is the Miami Heat. Udonis Haslam, Duncan Robinson, uh, Hassan Whiteside this year. Gabe Vincent is their third leading scorer in the playoffs right now at 14.2 points per game, putting up seven and a half threes. I think he's shooting something like 44% from three. They also have Max Bruce. I mean, they just consistently every year pull out guys like Kendrick Nunn. Our guy, Rodney Magruder, was originally a Miami um, undrafted free agent. These are the guys that, that we're talking about. It's like, let's try and find these. Because we were saying, you know, off, off uh, the podcast and just, going back and forth really the measure of a great general manager and really the measure of a great scouting department or talent evaluator department is this is we're able to find role players for cheap on the scrap heap that nobody else wants but we see hey we know they can do these things or this one thing and it'll fit perfectly in our team so we're going to try and give some of those and again obviously most of this is piston related we want to see these guys on the pistons but we've done our best to try and evaluate guys that we think should be given a chance off the scrap heap?
1: Um, I think it's interesting, and this is kind of off the topic a little bit, but like Miami and Golden State and even Milwaukee has a couple of players that you might say fit that role, like Javon Carter and other stuff. But it's like those are the same places that we're looking at for coaches. You know, maybe... (laughs) Maybe huh. then there's something to
0: it. <laughs> yeah. I just listened to um, the Milwaukee Bucks YouTube channel has this recurring segment where they will interview a player and like break down film and kind of give their journey and say like, what is your role in the team? What do you do? And they did Charles Lee about three weeks ago and he's the first coach that they've done. And he worked with Chris Middleton, Grayson Allen and uh, Marjan Beauchamp. Those are the three players that he worked with in particular And man, you really saw Middleton did show up in the playoffs. He was one of their best consistent performers there in the playoffs. Grayson Allen as well. Again, I hate saying his name, but man, he really has carved out a role as a great three point shooter. And then Beauchamp, Beauchamp looked ahead of the curve compared to where a lot of people thought he would be, including myself, seemed to be incredibly raw, but they were able to play him minutes this year and really show potential on the wing and maybe even at power forward didn't get minutes in the playoffs because he still is that raw but that's a good sign to me too as well and what you're talking about here is like hey, here's a guy and a coach that works with you know these level of players and while also helping to develop this guy coming up
1: yeah and and again not, not i guess i'm the one that's just gonna keep sidetracking us but you look at uh Golden State being willing to move off of Wiseman so they could get Peyton back. And he's getting minutes. Wiseman would not have seen the court in the playoffs, but Peyton is getting minutes and playing a role, doing what he does, and they move on to the next round
0: yeah and it is also that like difference between teams that are like yo we need playoff success so Wiseman, even if we believe in you it's not time anymore we can't waste this time we know what gp2 can do let's bring him back in the fold because we need him to make a playoff run so how this scrap heap is going to work we're going to give guys from a couple different areas we're going to give a couple names from the g league of like hey we think these players really should get a shine and some chance that'll probably be more on my end because i'm a sicko like that in terms of deep diving into the g league and the nba draft we'll also do undrafted free agents that these guys are probably going to be rated undrafted free agents in the nba draft again i always try and keep a, a top 100 big board over at resball.substack.com and these are players that i know one of them for certain will be an undrafted free agent if he's given a chance and the other two it would surprise me if they end up in round two but i still think they would be two of the names i would want to get on the phone right away yeah if their names are called in the 2023 nb draft and then last but not least free agents again thinking of somebody like a sean livingston Thinking of somebody, I don't know, what's a more recent free agent you can think of where you're like, man, why did they take a chance on that guy? And then all of a sudden he's producing.
1: Uh, free agents who is producing right now, I, I can't even remember right now looking back this regular season to see who was a recent free agent on the team that made a big difference. Give me a few minutes. We'll come back to, I just have to think about it off the top of my head. I can't think of any.
0: Yeah, yeah. So um, I know there will be one, maybe uh, Jeff Green. Jeff Green might be the perpetual <laughs> scrappy guy here. And I don't know why. I remember even like four or five years ago, D-Wade tweeted out that exact thing. It's like, I don't understand why nobody wants Jeff Green long term because like he plays defense. He knows his role and he helps you win, as we see in the playoffs now, because he's doing it for Denver. Yet again, you know, that kind of guy where it's like. He lets pick him up, and he comes in, and you see him shine in playoff time, or you see him shine in the regular season. So well, let's like start with off.
1: with the Denver Nuggets. You know, Bruce Brown. He went in and he filled a role perfectly for them.
0: Again, the long, 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 <laughs> long line of piston players that go elsewhere and fit into a role perfectly. So, hello, Sadiq. We we see you. We still love you. So let's start off our scrap peep talk with some guys in the G league. The first guy I'm going to name, I'm pretty sure Andy, well, you might know him because he was on the Pistons for a minute. I believe he was here for like half a season, maybe even a full season is Lewis King, six foot seven forward, 205 pounds. Again, he started his NBA career on the Pistons, but now is on Philadelphia. He's one of their two way players, I believe. So they'd have to, you know, sign him away, but I still think he has really good potential. He spent two seasons in Sacramento, and then he's been in the league for a total of four years. So started with the Pistons, played ten games. Was also on the um, G League team for the Pistons at that time. Next season was in Sacramento on their G League. Played only sixteen games across the two seasons in Sacramento, and then this season in Philadelphia played one game of action and scored 20 points in that one game in his total NBA career, 35.1% from three on 2.1 attempts per game in 27 total games across these three years. That'll just gives you an idea that yes, he can be a shooter in the NBA. And that's really the selling point on Lewis King. Even back when he was with the Pistons, I remember Laz Jackson of Detroit bad boys saying this is somebody the team should probably just invest in long-term and give like a minimum deal for a year or two because of that shooting they needed that shooting and they needed that that size at the wing position six foot seven 205 pounds do you remember lewis king at all when he was on our, our pistons i do not and typically
1: as far as the g league players that i know the only ones i would really know are people who young players who stand out in summer league that they kind of catch my eye and i'm like oh i think i want to just kind of look for his name to see if he develops into anything or anything happens there, or they might be a player who's on the cruise, but typically, even if it's a cruise player, I don't know them unless it was from summer league and then they moved to the cruise after summer league.
0: Yeah, so Lewis King kind of bounced around this season between Rio Grande Valley and the Delaware 76ers, Delaware Bluecoats. I always forget what their name is. And he played 50 games in the G League across those two teams, ended up scoring 17.8 points per game. And shot 36.2% from three on seven point two attempts per game. Also has become a better passer than what I remember him being on the Pistons, is he dished out four point six assists to just two point five turnovers in these fifty games. So he can pass. He can put up a lot of threes and shoot. I think this is somebody that definitely should be invested in right now. I know, oh, by the way, still only 24 years old. So this isn't somebody that's incredibly old or like, you know, they're like maybe you give one or two seasons. Could be somebody that absolutely fits in the rotation. Put in his time in the G League across multiple seasons. I really, really, really would buy into Louis King. If for nothing else, the shooting.
1: Okay. Who's, who's your next in the G league that we need to look for?
0: The next guy in the G league is John Butler. Uh, John Butler is somebody I really, really liked last season. I thought the Pistons should have drafted him in the second round instead of Gabriel Proshida at that pick. He's little, John Butler is listed at seven foot one, 175 pounds came out of Florida state last year and i mean the he's just an anomaly at that size you think oh this is going to be maybe like a poku or he's a power forward slash center and but he's undersized so like what can you really do but he moves and he plays like he is a small forward really good shooter at that size like just natural and again the the size is going to be a a thing I don't know what his exact size is, though. Like, if you look on Basketball Reference, they say he's listed at seven feet, 175. If you look on NBA.com, he is listed at seven feet, 190 pounds. So it's somewhere in there. I am uncertain what his actual size is. Well, again, what I believe in, though, is his shooting. And at that size, that immediately Tags him as a mismatch option. So
1: since since again, I sidetrack us. What were your thoughts on Jaden Hardy with Dallas?
0: I like Hardy. I thought he could be a really good bench scorer in the mold of somebody like a um, Jamal Crawford like that, or maybe even a Jason Terry. Jason Terry would probably be a closer like comp, that kind of guy where he's just a microwave scorer. Has to work on his defense, though. I mean, that's a lot of the G League guys is they're just not taught to play defense and nobody really cares about defense in the G League. There are very few that like stress technique and really NBA concepts and whatever. But man, as a scorer, he's incredibly natural. You really like that three point shot had to be, has to be reined in though. But to me, that's always one of those things that I would rather invest in a guy that you're like, Hey man, dial that back rather than like trying to fire somebody up. He definitely has the confidence to take any shot. He has the ability to make any shot.
1: So if you had to pick him or Perchita, who would you pick?
0: I mean, I probably would have went Prashida after more evaluation and thought just because the Pistons needed wings. Prashida also has really good athleticism. Hardy is okay at that size. And Prashida is also profiling as a shooter at that time. So you just have to go with that wing size and that athleticism to say like, hey, I think this guy could probably defend more positions than Hardy. Hardy's got more, you know, downside as a defender, good ball handler. But I mean, I'm going to invest in the athlete and shooter and push.
1: Okay. Well, thanks. I I learned something here. So I, I like getting your opinion. I know you, you spend a lot of time watching a lot of stuff. So. Appreciate
0: it. <laughs> yeah, of course. So back to John John Butler, though, in the G League this season, took 4.3 attempts per game from three-point range, shot 34.6% from three, scored just 8.3 points per game, but also pulled in one or I, excuse me pulled in 4 rebounds per game in 23.6 minutes dished out 1.2 assists and oh by the way he blocked 3.2 shots per game so his shot blocking is coming around in the G League and he played only 6 games though so you got to take that with a grain of salt but these are intriguing tools so you have a three point shooter at 7 foot 1 like 175 190 looks like the shot blocking is coming around Not going to play center, probably be more in that weak side rim protection, but moves like a small four to that size, shoots like one. There are just not that many human beings that fit that profile. And he's one that I probably would go banana on and be like, because he's another two way player playing with Portland right now. So they work kind of like a restricted free agent, if I remember this correctly. So you have to like give them an offer that the other team can't match or wouldn't want to match. And he would be one that I would, like I said, 5 million, 8 million per season for like three years. I know make fun of me, whatever. But again, there's not that many human beings that possess his body type and his skill on the basketball court. It's worth a shot for a team that has so much cap space. So
1: like that's something like I, Everything you said is fantastic. And that's something that bothers me more about the last season that the Pistons had with whatever the whole thing was with Noel Merlin's Noel at center. Because in my opinion, once Cade was hurt and this was a development season, why didn't we pick up another just young prospect, like throwing darts, especially a center who could like spread the floor, something we don't have? And Just throw it on the wall, see if it sticks. If it doesn't, we lost nothing. But instead, we didn't do anything like that.
0: Yeah, especially at the big man position, you either want to get somebody that's just like the shot blocking machine, even if you think it's not going to translate. Why not just give it a shot? And the other one is the floor spacer just to give them a different different thing to throw out there. So that way it's not as predictable as the Marvin Bagley and the James Wiseman. we already know, like want to back you down. And with Bagley, at least he has the pick and roll ability and the lob ability but with Ivy being the only one that really could operate that way and, and get him those lobs, yeah, really, really limited. And this isn't to say like, oh, we think they should have won more games. It's just like, man, I wish they'd have tried out more things, right?
1: Yes, try more things, experiment. Because once Kate was down the season, everything changed. So it's like, do what you can. Experiment, play around, try some different things, do some things. It just seemed like we wasted most of the season trying to duct tape together this team that would be competitive that we knew could not be competitive. And I just I didn't get it. Third, third G League player.
0: Speaking of the Pistons not trying things out is (laughs) a guy I really like. On their G League team, the Motor City Cruise, Stanley and Moody. Stanley and Moody is six foot six, 210 pounds, came out of Arkansas this year, is 24 years old. And in the G League on the Motor City Cruise, Stanley and Moody played 25 games, played 27.5 minutes per game, ended up scoring 15.4 points per game on shooting splits, of uh, 41.5% from the entire field. 38.5% from three on 6.4 attempts per game and then 77.1% on 1.9 attempts from that free throw line. Pretty good rebounder too, 4.8 rebounds per game. It has a negative to assist to turnover ratio, so that's a little bit worrisome. But to me, he was more the three and D guy. I thought they should have given more shine. Nothing against Jared Broden, who I also like, but I thought a moody profile a little bit more more physical and like he could guard the two all the way through the four position. So I really wish they would have given him more shine because he profiles as somebody that could be a really good role player, especially with that, that three point shot. And then the defense will start to come around again. The negative assist to turnover ratio is a little worrisome, but at Arkansas, he was kind of like the second or third option. I believe he played at South Dakota or South Dakota state. I think it's South Dakota because I don't think he played for the Jackrabbits, which is South Dakota State, but he was the primary option there for like three seasons. So you got to see his um, creation ability, took a, a lesser role at Arkansas, still helped them win games and get an NCAA tournament, make a little bit of a run. Played the power forward position at times, played the small forward position at times. Again, this is somebody I like that has all of these different things in their profile. And again, six foot six, 210 pounds, 38.5% from three on a good volume. That's just things that the Pistons need. And any team needs it for that matter. A name to think about in conjunction with him is somebody like Damon Lee, who's now on the Suns, uh, who started off with the Warriors as an undrafted free agent again really kind of leveraged his shooting ability, started ironing out his game more to be a good defender, ends up being on a title team with the Golden State Warriors. And, oh, by the way, leverage that now into being a, a role player on the Phoenix Suns right now who might be a title team.
1: So, um, yeah, Omude, I saw him in summer league, if I remember correctly, because when Ivy got hurt and Killian stopped playing, early like we had no guards playing they were giving um Mude time and i just liked seeing him on the court he looked athletic And I think when I did look at like G League um, shooting statistics for three pointers, it's like Buddy was not shooting much better than him. So I saw no point if Buddy's not athletic enough to stay on the court other than shooting. I saw no point in why he didn't have our two way and why we weren't developing him instead. So but, you know, he's he's someone who I would like to see more of.
0: Yeah, I mean, I get the buddy thing, even though I don't agree with it. Like you think this might be the next Duncan Robinson with the way he can shoot the ball. But you just said it. Moody's more athletic than him. He's a much better defender. And he's a better shooter than Jared Roden. And has that lead scorer ability, at least development and in the background. I don't understand why Moody didn't get one of the the two-way contracts with his athleticism and, and shooting at the very least. So hopefully... That won't be corrected going forward, but I think any team would be wise to snatch up a Stanley and Moody as well.
1: So now that I got those those two other names for the Jew League players, I'm going to start to look for them and start to follow them and and see, uh, see, see how I think they would fit on the, the Pistons.
0: Yeah. If there was one I had to bet like the house on, it would be John Butler. I really like John Butler again. It's just such a unique player uh, that I think will end up working out again, not maybe not as a starter, but something like uh, a Poku in that, that type of a role because Poku started to shoot threes. Now is more of the shot blocker and filled out a little bit more physically. I could see a team really investing in. John Butler to be that, that same type of role. again, not a starter, but a really good reserve when he's at his healthiest.
1: And, and most people don't understand just how, how much of a difference it makes when a team can find a guy from the G league who all of a sudden takes rotation minutes, like, that is huge because then you look at the contract and how much money they're getting paid. And that's what allows you to pay money for your your superstars, but fill out the roster with guys who can contribute, who have the skills to make those players look good.
0: Yeah, that's how the Miami Heat are able to pay Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo and then bring in Kyle Lowry and they all are making gigantic money. Well, again, Gabe Vincent is your third leading scorer and Max Truce is one of your bench guys and they're barely making like league minimum. So, yeah, 100 uh, percent. Now we'll move on to the program, part of the program where we talk about potential 2023 undrafted free agents. Andy, do you have any idea like who like could be like way, way, way down low? in the 2023 NBA draft or just like college players. You saw that you're like, I know they're not getting draft buzz, but like, man, I really think that they could be somebody that I would want on my team.
1: Well, it's not somebody that I want on my team, but I know he gets buzzed and a lot of people say he's like a, a second round pick. Some people say, Oh, he's better than that. Some people say he should be taking them in the second round and that's Samani Bates. What, what are your thoughts on, on him? <sighs>
0: So as I said to Piston Mike (laughs) two episodes ago, when he asked about him at 31, like if I had any sway in Imani, like if I was close to him, I would be like test at the NBA draft combine, but definitely go back. I think he's staying in and that he's not maintaining his eligibility. I think it's a big mistake. I mean, I, honestly, I don't even want him as an undrafted free agent because the defense is not there either at an effort or skill level. And then his efficiency just fell off like it was so bad. And it's against the Mac. He was shooting something like 28.6%. Um, I'm Um, not going to dig up those numbers. If you want to hear the numbers again, go back two episodes. when I do the offseason plan with Piston Mike. The fact that it got worse against worse competition, it just, none of it, none of it seems like I want to invest in this guy because he's supposed to be like a microwave scorer. He's supposed to be a heat check guy at the very minimum, but that just got worse and worse as the year went on. Oh, by the way, he doesn't pass very well and then just doesn't seem to want to play defense. Six foot nine, 190 has a negative wingspan. I don't know if he's grown since that Memphis measurement, which was uh the previous season uh, before they got started in the season they did this like combine uh scrimmage or whatever and they took everybody's measurements and it showed that abani was like six eight six nine but his wingspan was like six foot seven so that's another thing that limits him if he's that skinny with a negative wingspan and he's not showing anything on defense i don't know how you overcome that
1: Again, thank you. Thank you for the information because I'm not a I'm not a fan. Like I wouldn't want the Pistons to to spend their second definitely not a high second round pick on him. I think he would be a more of a an undrafted player, but I think uh yeah, I think he should stay. I think he needs more time to develop. I know he had a great game against U of M and usually like that gets a lot of hype and people like that. But if you watch his whole body of work, you get too many too many question marks.
0: Yeah, that U of M game was very early on. So it's easy to get super hyped at the beginning of the season. But as the season wears on, defenses adjust to you. They attack you differently. So that that's going to be the thing of like. I always want to see how you respond when they hit you with the, the, the punch that knocks you off your feet. Do you have a counter punch to that? And unfortunately, it didn't look like Amani did. Some other guys, though, that I definitely want to highlight here in terms of guys that should be taken off the scrap heap in the undrafted free agent market, starting with David Singleton out of UCLA. David Singleton played one, two, three, four, five years at UCLA is a very good shooter first and foremost 43.4 percent from three on 3.1 attempts per game across his five years never scored over nine points per game in his fifth year at ucla career highs in just about every every category nine points per game 2.8 rebounds 1.1 assists 1.1 steals shooting splits of 43.2 percent from two 42.2 percent from three and then 84.9 percent from that free throw line is a shooter and also six foot four, two ten. Pretty good defender at like shooting guard, maybe can guard up to small forward, uh um Norman Powell, who he shares pretty similar measurements to, but Norman Powell was more of like an on on ball guard. Then definitely didn't have the shooting abilities that single did coming out of out of UCLA. Is definitely more of a role player, though. Again, this is somebody that was like fourth or fifth banana. On UCLA, but I would buy into him as being a rotation shooter that has pretty good size at the shooting guard position and the three point attempt rate for his five years at UCLA was 70.7%. That's 70.7. So 70% of his shots are coming from downtown and to be able to shoot it over 43%, that was 43.4%. That shows, yeah, like you are not wasting any shots his career true shooting percentage is 60.1 percent there's only one year out of the five which was singleton's sophomore year where his true shooting percentage dipped below 60 percent. so if it wasn't for that year too it could have been even higher not gonna waste shots he's gonna play defense maybe doesn't have any on ball or any other skills but i do not care i know he can shoot that's all i want him to do and play some defense
1: so how important do you think that is? Cause obviously with these guys, you're still looking for someone who's going to have, you know, upside talent, but I think most people, I guess, overestimate at that point, like the player is not going to be an impact player. You're like hoping the guy can make the rotation eventually. Like that's really what you're looking for. And I think what you said is very important. Like if, if Cade and Ivy and then whatever our next lottery pick is and then i guess you could even say you know boyan like those are going to be our high usage players we need complementary players who fit a role who are efficient who can shoot the ball and play defense and that's that's all we need like we
0: don't <laughs> we don't need a lot more and play defense is like a different thing for different players to, again, look back yes. at the heat right now. They are playing Gabe Vincent. They are playing Max Drews. They are playing our guy, Duncan Robinson. Duncan Robinson, he's got a D in his name, but that's about where it ends. Right. Sorry, Duncan. But you're a gangly white guy who doesn't play very much defense. That would be my, my answer to like, do they need to do anything else? A lot of these heat guys, you look at them and they had one elite skill and a lot of question marks everywhere else, or like you don't believe in them. And Duncan's probably the best example of this because, like, what else did he develop in the NBA other than shooting? Probably not really anything, right? But it's so good. And they put him in a role where that's all he needs to do. It's just going to work. And I think it would be that, that same way with Singleton, who I believe in much more as, like, you can, a defender um, off the bench. Probably more in line with the Gabe Vincent or the uh, Max Struess type of guy where you can play them minutes in the starter. And by the way, he's going to keep shooting threes like this. So, yeah, I mean, to me, especially with the undrafted free agent guys, I just want to find one skill that I know can translate to the NBA. Like, do you do this at an NBA level? Cool. Let's get you in camp. Let's see if you can fit in with our guys. And like you said, compliment the guys we're using to create offense.
1: So, in this category, do you have
0: any good wing defenders? No. Wing defense is at a premium. So, those guys are all going to get drafted. They all the get guys, guys, in guys in the undrafted pool. Like, they're probably going to develop that. I'm trying to think of like a more, maybe Tory Craig is like a good example of this. He's undrafted, but it took him a long time. He's currently 32. <laughs> I feel like he didn't really start popping up on radars until like four or five years ago on Denver so he's probably like 28 or 26 somewhere in there so that's what you're looking at and I'm I don't know what his profile was back in the day but I'm going to feel pretty confident that if he was a defender, nobody thought he would be a playoff defender playing for a Denver Nuggets team right now and played for Phoenix last year in that role too. And even then like the the praise of him is like, well, he gives effort and like, he'll get in the way, but he's not locking anybody down or he's not like giving you the highest level of defense.
1: All right, cool. Who's, who's your next undrafted guy?
0: Locally, our Detroit guys. We love our Detroit guys. Is Antoine Davis? Uh, do you know any anything about Antoine Davis being there in uh, the D- Detroit area? I do not. Oh, come on, Andy!
1: <laughs>
0: You're losing some of your Detroit cred. You're losing that now. So Antoine Davis, another fifth-year player. You see him six foot one, one sixty-five. You think, eh, whatever. But this is a player across five years was. I believe three points away from breaking Pistol Pete's all-time NCAA scoring record. And Pistol Pete did it in three years. Antoine Davis came close to him five. So long live the legend of Pistol Pete. I'm a gigantic Pistol Pete fan. Just wanted to throw that out there to remind people of how great he was. So across five years, Antoine Davis scored 25.4 points per game, pulled in 3.2 rebounds, dished out 4.1 assists, grabbed 1.3 steals, Shooting splits across the four or across the five years, excuse me, are 44.4% from two-point range, 37.5% from three, and then 89.2% from the free throw line. And that th- free throw or the three-point percentage comes on 10.9 three-point attempts. And yeah, every year he was putting out- at least 10.1 three point attempts per game every year he put up at least 298 or 223 excuse me three point attempts per game uh, other years like freshman year 347 three point attempts per game sophomore year 31 or 312 three point attempts per game uh, fourth year 298 and then this past year took the most three pointers He has ever taken at 386 three-point attempts in total in his fifth year. Can you guess what he shot on those 386 three-point attempts, Andy? Let's go
1: 38%. 41.2
0: 41.2 percent so this is as legit of a yeah. shooter as you will get and is a good point guard as well is hunting his own shot but that's more a result of you know playing for detroit Mercy, university of detroit Mercy. his dad's the coach there and they're like man we know you can score so you are going to be our primary guy just put him up and that that level of three-point shooting is on another plane i know he's six foot one i know he's 165 the defense is always going to be the question but The way that this man can score the ball, I want him in my training camp because I'm pretty sure he's probably going to embarrass a couple of the the guys that are on the bench with that ability, especially from three where he's just going to get on a hot streak and shoot guys down. And you want to keep him around because you're like, look at what he does. So there are guys in practice. You put him in the G League, probably going to do the same thing. And then one day gets a shine in the NBA. Think of somebody like Cam Thomas for the Brooklyn Nets, that that same type of like, man, this guy will just blow up at any time and has more playmaking than, than Cam Thomas showed in his profile here. Every year, Anton Davis has dished out at least one hundred and five assists. And there were only two years where he had one hundred turnovers or more. So three out of the five, he was under one hundred. And for a player that has a 36% usage, that was his average across five years, that's not bad. The turnover rates were 12% as a freshman, 16.2 as a sophomore, 13.4 as a junior, 13.7 in the fourth year. And then as a fifth year senior, 11.8, his lowest total on that regard. I can just give you so many different stats about Antoine Davis, the shooting, the playmaking, doesn't turn the ball over. He's a bucket, he has a great handle, yeah, he's undersized, but man, I'll buy into him. He can be my training camp any day.
1: So what is your time frame on on someone who has like a great skill, but they have, you know, uh, a deficiency, like for him, it's his size for, you know, defending. How long would you give them to figure it out in terms of, okay, offensively, his shooting is there, it's good enough. That we can find a role or scheme around his defensive, you know, disabilities. And but how long do you give someone before you're kind of like, okay, nope, it's not going to work out. We need to let him go and move on to the next one.
0: I think three years because ideally if you're a good organization you have a plan of like okay year one this is what they're going to do year two this is where i imagine they are and by year three like they have ironed out these other skills to where i can give them spot minutes in a rotation um and then if they exceed it, like, um, obviously, you're, you're thrilled with that, like a Duncan Robinson or somebody like that. But I think three years is enough time to really turn that around. Somebody to think about, again, going back to that Miami Heat, Gabe Vincent. Uh, Gabe Vincent was undrafted, been in the league three years. So first year, well, technically, he's been in the league four years. Uh, first year in Miami was only there for nine games. Second year. Got in the rotation a little bit more at 50 games, but shot terribly at 30.9%. And then finally, in the third league, the third year, carved out a role more 36.8% from three. And then in this uh, fourth year now, is part of the regular rotation and is just knocking them down at a high rate in the playoffs. So I think it's something like that. And I derive that more from the Miami Heat role mold where... Again, three years, it seems like that's what they give the guys. There are a few along the way, like Omar y- 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 servant, who was a, a center that immediately they kind of found didn't work out for them and, and went aside. But most of those other guys, like a Rodney Magruder or Duncan Robinson or Max Struess, Gabe Vincent, like they give about three years.
1: And is this someone that you think would still be a possibility given Ivy's defense in our backcourt? Yeah, then it's, then the second it just
0: unit. it's the second unit so that way you can stagger it so they're never on the court together and there are some games where okay. you're like forget it we don't need defense right now what we need is two guys here one that can just put up threes and that would be a per- perfect compliment to somebody like ivy who needs to attack the basket you yes. want to attack the basket and if antoine davis can put up threes like that then it's like you have to keep somebody attached to him at all times and that makes it less likely that there's going to be another perimeter defender that gets sucked into Ivy. Nope, that that sounds good. I like that answer. Yeah, and then the last guy from the 2023 potential undrafted free agents is Ricci Akabundu Ihu, who is playing for Memphis this year. Entered this NBA draft cycle, but is maintaining his eligibility. Really got very few minutes at Memphis. Before that, played at UT Arlington, where he was just a shot-blocking nightmare menace. And that's really the selling point on him I believe he is listed at six foot nine and like 205 pounds. I can give you the exact measurements here. Yeah, six foot nine 190 is what basketball references him at. i would say he's probably more around 200. again you look at the stats this year from memphis 2.6 points per game and then uh, 1.7 rebounds 0.1 assists 0.0 block uh, 0.0 steals excuse me 1.6 blocks per game you're like yeah whatever but go back the previous two years at ut arlington Again, the points are that much 3.4 as uh, his first year there, 4.7 as second year. But the blocks, 3.3 as uh, his first year at UT Arlington. And then in that second year, 2.6 blocks per game. You're like, yeah, those are still good, but I, I don't know what you're so excited about. Well, you go over to the block percentages on his advanced, and his first year UTR UT Arlington is 15.9%. Second year, UT Arlington, it was 13.9%. And then this year, played 30 games, 315 minutes in total, 17.5% block percentage. This is a guy that just knows how to get in the way and keep people away from that rim. I know he looks undersized, but so did Brandon Clark. And Brandon Clark's carved out a nice role for himself there in Memphis. This is somebody that is going to be undrafted and way, way, way down there. But six foot nine, like two hundred-ish, is also a fantastic athlete. He has something like a 45, 47 inch vertical. Go look up him on YouTube. And I'm gonna tell you how to spell his name because Kautorichi who I know nobody is gonna know how to spell that, maybe outside his family, right? So it's K-A-O-D-I-R-I-C-H-I. And then his last name, Akabunu Ihu, is A-K-O-B-U-N-D-U hyphen E-H-I-O-G-U. Kearorichi Akabunu Ihu. Fantastic athlete. And shout out to Ashton, the trainer, a K's trainer. He's the guy that really put me on to Uh in the off season. I believe he was like posting some workouts and stuff with him. Really explosive athlete. Somebody you want to get in and develop as a pick and roll uh, role man as well because if he unlocks that that ability to be a lobster off of that too then he has something on the offensive side to really sink his teeth into somebody that i would buy into like digging deep 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 he's been at 100 on my board for a long time or now he moved up to, to 99 because alex fudge entered entered the picture as well another super athletic guy i would buy into there um but yeah, if the aid was like, yo, we need an athletic big man, then yeah, he would probably be the first one I would call because I really like the tools. And I think there's something there, especially with that shot block.
1: How are his hands like? Is, does he have good hands or is that an area that needs improvement?
0: No, I think he has good hands. I mean, across three years of NCAA competition, only has 47 turnovers. His career high in his second year at UT Arlington in 630 minutes was 24 turnovers. So gives you an idea that he's not fumbling that much. The turnover rates look high in the percentages. I just think it's more a result of like being in, the, in this weird position where you have to be in the dunker spot or like you have to do something else and move around. But I would buy into him. Maybe like more explosive Bismack Biombo would be there. I know Bismack didn't have fantastic hands, but he just ended up carving out a role to be able to do a bunch of different things. He's still playing in the NBA today because of his shot blocking and his explosiveness. Again, to sidetrack you, what do you think of Wiseman's hands? they're terrible move on <laughs> they're so bad they're so bad though i mean it's not that the only my only point there is just it's bad i mean there's no other way to put it okay
1: that's i mean i i thought they were bad too and that's one of the things that impresses me about duran and i think i heard like a, a sheet story where he was talking about doing some dunks with him and he was just like his hands just like <laughs> Just suck the ball in with with one hand, and uh, yeah, okay, we can get back on track again.
0: Yeah, no, I mean Beef Stew has some pretty bad hands, so I mean I've probably seen him fumble like fifty <laughs> passes over the last two years. This is like, please, Beef Stew, that's the one thing you need to get better at. But uh, yeah, with Kairo Richie, Kairo Richie uh, that's something I wouldn't buy into. Is like, yeah, I think as a lob threat. Yeah, he'll be cool with that because this is somebody when you look at the highlights, go look him up on YouTube. Now, if you're listening to this, I guarantee one of the first videos you're going to see is him jumping and touching the top of the backboard. That's how high he can jump. All right. Next time I'm
1: on, we're, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you what I've seen in his highlights from looking him up and watching him. I'm,
0: I'm intrigued. And speaking of Sheed, Sheed's there at Memphis, so he would know about Keirichi Akabundui. So the Pistons have a, an edge there in on him as well. So now we finally get to our free agents. I know a lot of people probably are clamoring more for this one of like, ah, we don't want to hear about these, these players that are buried in the G League or like that aren't going to be Victor Wembenyama. I understand that, but I'm the draft sicko. So G League and undrafted free agents are part of my bag. And if you listen to this podcast for a while, you know I talk about super sleeper teams in Portsmouth and whatever. So you probably a sicko just like myself. <laughs> For the non sickos let's talk about some free agents andy do you got some names of like guys they could pick up on the scrap heap like teams should buy into in this free agent class off the scrap heap and again we're thinking of somebody like sean livingston um did you come up with another name while we were thinking of like hey there's somebody this season that like nobody kind of bought into but then they're they're actually producing right now for a team
1: no besides bruce brown i have another name hasn't really popped into my head you know who's one that did, did, did
0: pop into my name and again it goes back to our point with the miami heat is oladipo oladipo is somebody that oh. people could, like totally gave up on right but then came into miami and carved out a role as a three and d guy so sad that he went down with injury in these playoffs man he's one guy i've always liked and loved the way he plays with that intensity and focus on defense so prayers up to oladipo but somebody like that too where it's like a team can recognize the skills he still has and can bring him into the program like he did with Oladipo and be like, bam, we got ourselves a rotation defender. So who are your names here for our scrap heap on the free agent pool?
1: Well, they're, they're not really, well, as far as like free agents, like for me, I, I would like to find a way to get a wing from Brooklyn because they just have too many wings and they could actually use another big, and we have an abundance of those let's, you know, and I think somebody from Detroit was saying that, you know, Bagley to Brooklyn, but I'd love to send them Wiseman. Can we just send Wiseman over to, to Brooklyn? But I mean, I think we talked earlier about Dorian Finney Smith and about Royce O'Neal that I just think those would be perfect veteran. And they're not too old, but veteran wings that, can do the job that we need and are not overly, overly priced.
0: Yeah, they'd have to get them in a trade. I believe they're both still under contract for a while, but- Yes, they, they are both under contract. Yeah, absolutely. Trade targets, that makes sense. And again, for anybody, those type of players, every single team needs where you're six foot seven, six foot eight, around 220, you play both four spots and you shoot threes very well, easy sell, right? <laughs>
1: And I think we've talked about uh, Matisse Seibel before, too, that we would have liked to have seen him. And I believe he's uh, a restricted free agent this year. Yeah, He he will be a
0: restricted free agent. But yes, uh, uh, he's got he I considered him for the three guys I'm about to name. But I didn't put him there because I'm like, I don't really know if he qualifies as a scrap heap. I'm sure the Philly fans think that. But the Philly fans think a lot of things. Right. Yeah. but what what would your thoughts be on that cuz he played well for Portland.
1: Yeah, I mean I I don't think Detroit understands the scrap heap because we also were talking a little bit about Kevin Knox, which I think did a perfect job of filling a role on the scrap heap and only for 3 million. I don't see why he wouldn't have been on the roster for next season as like your 14th guy or whatever, but we, you know, shipped him away and I think he was our third best three-point shooter on the season. So uh, I don't think we believe in the scrap heap in Detroit.
0: Yeah, Thibault. though, circling back to Thibault, So the the case for him of the scrap heap is played 49 games with the Sixers this season, only played 12.1 minutes per game, shot 33% from three, but I mean, 2.7 points per game. He was barely there. Traded to Portland in, in their deal, and then plays 22 games for Portland down the stretch. Started all 22 of those games as well. Shot 38.8% from three in that time, and then scored 7.4 points per game while still, you know, grabbing a bunch of steals of 1.7. So it's like. I would I would understand and I think he probably leans more towards a scrap heap because I think there are less and less believers in Matisse Leibold not only maintaining even that level of production, 7.4 points per game and like 38.8% from three. But the fact that Philly just gave up on him essentially um, when they need more wing defenders probably leans more towards a scrap heap. What would be your selling point on Matisse Leibold to a team of like yo, we need to get this guy.
1: Um, And I don't know. And I'm someone who actually likes, you know, statistics. And I, I don't think this is something you can quantify. But when a guy, and maybe this applies to like Killian, but when a guy starts getting a reputation that he can't shoot, and it just becomes this huge mental thing where they like hesitate and they doubt everything. And if you look at like a uh, Sabonis in the golden state series, when they started leaving him open from the mid range, you could see it became a mental thing. The guy is good enough to shoot the ball, but all of a sudden you're dealing with this other stuff. And the question is, can in a new environment, in a new setting where a guy has a green light where he has permission to just let it fly, is it possible that they can hit a comfort zone and like, You know, that's gone because most of these guys, even in practice, like they can shoot, but in the game, it's it's different. What are your thoughts? Because I know you've evaluated a lot of a lot of prospects. How does that relate?
0: I'll just answer with this. Do you have any idea what Matisse Stiebel's career three point percentage is? Because I think there is this idea that he's a bad three point shooter. And to me, there's always the distinction between like, yo, this guy, like you shouldn't have faith in him and other ones of like, well, actually, like, I don't think we should give up on this guy. So do you have any idea what Matisse's career three point percentage is? I'm
1: going to say like 33 or 34 percent.
0: Yeah, it's 33.4% across four years, which isn't bad. So to me, that's a positive indicator of like, you know what? I I understand the shot isn't perfect. I understand he comes with quirks where sometimes he doesn't want to shoot it. But at least in the 22 games in Portland, he put up more threes than he ever has. 3.9 attempts per game. So it was a higher volume at that time. And then for the career, the three-point attempt rate is 55.8%. So it's not. Not like he's shying away from them he's continuing to put them up maybe this is the case of just like, well, he's more of like the average to a little bit below average shooter. But I think that part of it is is the reason why like you would put him on the scrap heap, right? is like the shot. It's not super, super bad. It's not worrisome like another guy that people keep trying to buy into and in Cam Reddish. Uh, I'll give you those numbers here in a second, but they are worse than Matisse Thibels. I think the more concerning part is from the free throw line where... Diebold's career from the free throw line is 66.2 percent, obviously not great for a guard or wing. But maybe, too, like he's never really taken a lot of free throw attempts. And as you heard me say a lot of times on this podcast, the thing about shooting is if you don't put up a lot of attempts, like you're probably not going to put up a good percentage because the only way to iron out is to go through those slumps and to get reps to get that muscle memory. So the free throw attempt rate for thigh bowl has always been incredibly low. At 12.3% for his career. And there was a second year in Philly where he had 7.4% free throw attempt rate. So, yeah, I understand the percentage there is bad, but he doesn't also get to the line that 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 often. So for a team like the Pistons, though, you're like, okay, this guy can still defend. He's actually putting over half of his shots up from three. The percentage really isn't that bad and like like, yeah okay maybe the free throw is worrisome but like we don't want him to get to the free throw line anyway right we're not bringing him here like to to be like hey go go break down Giannis and off the dribble
1: so that's one of the things that I think uh not enough people look at because sometimes we like start to build a narrative around a player because if you look at Theibel's three-point shooting and you compare it to B stews they're basically identical but in Detroit, everyone believes, Oh, beast two is going to get this three point shooting thing. And I know he had a hot shooting stretch during the season and he had his shot has good form. Like it looks good, but he may never get higher than the percentage that he's shooting. Like this might be the the shooter that he is. And for, for Theibel, same thing. Like it's not that bad. I mean, obviously we wish the percentage was higher, but at 34%, it's not like it, it's, it's not that far from like the league average. you know And I mean, it's, it's right there. And even some good shooters like uh, Gordon, who's with uh, Phoenix. Now, if you look, who was with uh, Houston before, like he had some seasons where his three point percentage actually wasn't great. I mean, he's a three point shooter. Yeah. Eric, Eric it wasn't,
0: yeah, He went to the Clippers. Yes.
1: Yeah. Oh, it's the Clippers. Thanks. But his, um, his three point percentage went, he had a couple of seasons where it wasn't great. But because of his reputation, it still spread the floor. You know what I mean? So sometimes a lot of it is reputation and scheming, even though the percentages may not match what teams are currently doing, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And like you're saying, sometimes players get a label put on them. And again, the the Cam Reddish one is one a lot of Piston fans have argued for and other fan bases, whereas his three-point percentage across the four years, I think he's been in the league four years as well. Yes, four years. Cam Reddish is 32.2%, so it's worse than Theibel. He's been in more prominent roles, but he is also on his fourth team so he was in atlanta is in new york a uh, third team excuse me and now in portland and it's hard to look at his stats too and realize like that his three point percentage has just consistently gotten worse because the way you look at it on basketball reference is to like give you the total for the year and then they'll break it up between the two teams that he was on that year. So you'll you'll look across these and you're like, oh, he, he shot thirty seven point nine percent from three on four point five attempts per game. And then you're like, oh, that was in just thirty four games at Atlanta. He got traded to the Knicks and then shot twenty five point eight percent on two point one attempts per game. So you're like, okay, that's not good. And I mean, the total for that year was thirty five point nine percent. So you're like, okay, maybe if he's in more of a stable role. That'll be okay, but started out the year in in the Knickerbockers at thirty point four percent from three, and then gets traded to Portland where they give him more shine and he shoots thirty one point eight percent from three on four point four attempts per game. I understand the the argument for reddish it's Pretty similar to Thibault is like, oh, he's a defender. He's bigger. He's six foot eight, 218. Look at how athletic he is. But of the two, again, if I had to take a gamble on one, it's going to be Thibault because look at those numbers again. This is somebody that demands the ball less, is a little more efficient in that regard. And like, they're, they're just better shooting numbers that are getting better as he moves on. And Reddish is getting worse, unfortunately
1: yeah no i would i would agree with that 100% and i think like the when when we traded for hamadou diallo that first half of the season that he was with us he shot the lights out from three point range that never happened ever again <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah, unfortunately it did not. But Hamadou did carve out a nice little role as like this weird small ball four, small ball five when everybody went down. So I, you know, I really, really considered Hamadou for like this, this conversation of the scrap heap. But since he sold his mansion, I was like, I don't think I can like justifiably, you know, put him here and think that that he'll be back with Detroit. But I I think somebody else should still give him a chance for sure. So he just missed the, the scrap heap guys. Do you have any other names? of of free agents out there this offseason that like, yeah, you like they should somebody should probably pick them up off the scrap heap because I believe in them.
1: Um I'm not seeing any others that really fit what the Pistons are, are looking for. Do you have any any names?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Number one is Derek Jones Jr., 6'5", 210. Most people know him as, like, the, the slam dunk champ guy, you know. Um this is a running theme. Stop me if you heard this one before. Another Miami guy who got his shine and started in Miami, which is where they kind of unlocked him there. He's listed as small forward. He's been listed at power forward, but he has played center in some lineups because of that leaping ability. You're gonna look at the stats and they're not going to overwhelm you. For his career, Derrick Jones Jr. has played seven years in the NBA. Averages of 6.3 points per game, 3.2 rebounds, 0.7 assists, 0.6 steals, 0.7 blocks. So you're like, okay, 60% from two-point range, that's awesome. 30.4% from three, that's not great. And then 70.5% from the free throw line. So, okay. The main reason I would continue to buy into Derek Jones Jr. is he can play multiple positions. Small forward, power forward, again, has played these weird small ball five in lineups. Is an okay defender. He's not like the most fantastic guy. But with that explosiveness to be able to block shots and move really fast, like that just puts him ahead of the pack in a couple of different areas. Has slowly, slowly, slowly gotten okay as a shooter. Not great, but came into the league. First year he was on Phoenix, shot 27.3% from three in 32 games on just 0.3 attempts per game. So you're like, okay, this is a wing that's not taking threes. And then it's like 16.7% then it's like 30.8%, 28%, 31.6 maybe in that that um fifth year you're like ah, I think we should just probably give up on this idea that he's a shooter but then In Chicago the last two seasons 32.8 percent from three and then this past season 33.8 percent from three it's under 2.2 attempts per game it's like 1.2 and 1.3 attempts per game the three-point attempt rate is very low it's uh, 33.3 percent and then this past season 34.8 percent i understand but the fact that it got better and he still is able to do these different things on defense. He still is one of the best pure athletes in the NBA. If you're going to invest in somebody that could maybe work out in a different role somewhere, Derrick Jones Jr. You can do worse than Derrick Jones Jr. Because of everything I just laid out.
1: What did what, and I don't remember, I'm pretty sure he got hurt at the end of the season. And I don't remember how serious it was, but what were your thoughts of Dennis Smith Jr.? He spent like, he was in Detroit just for a, a little bit. He can't shoot, but defensively he can defend.
0: Yeah, I wanna buy into him because his he really turned it around on defense. Still a very explosive guard athlete. But, man, and it's not just that he can't shoot. It's that he might be the worst shooter in the NBA. (laughs) I mean, it's up there. It's bad. This last season, he shot 21.6% on 2.1 attempts per game from three. And then for his whole career so far, 29.9% from three, 66.7% from the free throw line. Not a good combination of numbers. Yeah, the fact that he got major minutes and the three-point percentage is that bad, like, I don't know how you really give somebody major minutes on a team that wants to even win, like, 30 games. <laughs> I was, I was hoping the man could make a comeback, but you're right. He can't shoot. Yeah, no, I, I am all there, too. I'm like, man, he maybe he could be like Jose Alvarado 2.0 with the way he's able to defend. Oh, man, he's a better athlete than Jose. He's still only 25 years old. and I, I mean, I wouldn't pay any attention to Charlotte. I kept hearing that name, Dennis Smith Jr., like people liked it, what he was doing this year. And then I looked at the percentages, and I was like... Oh man, yeah, I can't I can't sell that. Like I don't know how you get past that that point, but still a very good passer, still a very good athlete, good finisher. The free throw percentage went up to 73 point six percent this season, but I man, that that lack of shooting as a guard in the NBA, I don't know how you get past that. You're muted, Andy.
1: I was going to say I didn't want to say any jokes when you were talking about he may be the worst shooting guard in the NBA because we we have someone on our team who's who's still struggling and I'm pulling for him to figure it out but yeah so Killian do you do you feel like we're we're moving on from him like do you want to try and find a guard that could take his spot
0: yeah absolutely so like I laid out with the, the offseason plan with Piston Mike. Like the the mandate should be like Killian, you're on the bench. We're bringing in another guy. If you can kill it in training camp, if you look fantastic in summer league, like or preseason, whatever, like if you just don't miss, then we'll give you a shot like you basically have to earn it back now. Um, My I just don't understand how you can still put Killian out there when he's been so inefficient and like clearly will go in the tank with confidence issues. While you're trying to make that that next leap. And if anybody out there is like saying, oh, make the jump like Cleveland did between year three and year four, then like Killian has to become an entirely new player, right?
1: Yeah, that's, yeah, that's what's going to have to happen. And But I don't, I don't think we're making that huge jump. But don't
0: tell anybody because they get really mad when you don't believe. Yeah, well, actually, we'll end with something like that that I want to talk about. The other guy that I had is Lonnie Walker the fourth. He really played well for the Los Angeles Lakers this season. But then once the trade deadline happened, they kind of kicked him to the curb. He's not really playing in the playoffs right now either. Uh, because I was looking at his his like pre all-star break and post all-star break numbers. Pre, for the whole season, Lonnie Walker the fourth scored 11.7 points per game, pulled in 1.9 rebounds, 1.1 assists, 0.5 steals, 0.3 blocks. Shooting splits were 52.2% from two and then 36.5% from three-point range on 4.4 attempts per game and then 85.5, 85.8%. From the free throw line, this all equaled out to a true shooting percentage of 57%, which is a career high for Lonnie Walker played 1297 minutes. But again, once the trade deadline happened, I believe he's playing something like 12 or 13 minutes per game. They really pushed him out. I do not know why. Because uh, he was putting up really efficient numbers and really became a good shooter and like okay defender alongside uh, Braun and AD. So, I don't know. Maybe they just don't like his defense enough. Maybe they just wanted to play low more and that pushed him down some. But this is somebody that to me screams like, oh, I'm starting to figure out my role and my place in the league. And Lonnie Walker is also just 24 years old right now. So for a team like the Pistons in particular, like this is somebody I think you definitely should target. He's a little undersized. You probably want to play more of the wing position, six foot four, 204 pounds, more of a shooting guard. Also a great athlete. That's also another thing. Like if you don't find guys on the scrap heap that still have this level of explosiveness and his, his shooting. So that's what he has ahead of somebody like a Derrick Jones Jr., somebody I would buy into because it seems like he's really starting to figure out his role in the NBA and still very young.
1: So, yeah, I, I forgot about him because I had looked at him a lot when I was trying to trade Boyan all season to the Lakers. But um, my concern with him is just size wise. And I think this is kind of why he got pushed out in LA is I think they were using him before to play more on the wing. And then now they're, They've got more size, so they don't really need him. And he is undersized in that position. Do you think you could play the the three for Detroit? Or would you look at him more at a two guard? I
0: would want him more at the two guard, but I think he still can play the three a la Rodney Magruder. And you're probably paying him more to be like a second unit guy, more than a starter or at least like a six man at, at the very, you know, top of that development tree. So I think it's less of a thing. If you're paying him like starter level money, then that's going to be an issue with Cade and with Ivy. They're already penciled in the one and the two, but if he is coming off the bench, then yeah, it's not a big deal to me. I just want that athleticism and the shooting.
1: So do you have any veterans that are defensive players that you would like to see, even if they're a little washed up, that you would like to see Detroit get just from a, a mindset and just a defensive standpoint?
0: Jeff Green's always a free agent. I know we <laughs> made that joke at the beginning, but I mean, no, for real, they need somebody like that who's been around the block, who's played high level basketball for a long time, who knows how to win and play tough defense. You can't do anywhere. You can't do any better than Jeff Green in terms of like a veteran minimum guy like that. Jamichael Green is another guy that I would bring in. I've always been a big fan of his back when the team had Andre Drummond. I really thought that they should go after Jermichael Green because I was about a new shooting and his defense. So those are be the two that spring to mind because, I mean, I, I dug and dug and dug into the, the free agent. And I've been digging and digging and digging into who the potential free agents for the Pistons in particular can be. And it's just not that many players that both fit and like I would want. Another one is he's not like the highest level defender, but he is definitely... And high effort, it's somebody I've always bought into is Yuta Watanabe from the Brooklyn Nets. More of a power forward, but probably another guy that can be one of your wings to steal away from. The Brooklyn Nets led the league in uh, three-point percentage for a large part of the, the season, but then once KD and Kyrie got traded, shockingly, his percentage went <laughs> down. Uh, but he still finished the season at something like 42.2%, then six foot eight, six foot nine, I think he's like 27, 28, somebody I would still buy into in the rotation, but the Pistons need the size and that shooting ability.
1: Yeah. Um, and not even looking for guys on the scrap heap. It's, it's hard sometimes when we don't have an idea on like, are we really committing to like this too big thing with Wiseman or is this Not for real, because I mean, you you just run out of minutes as far as where are guys going to play position wise until we have like a trade to open up playing time for for these players who, even though they're not great, they're not like game changers. They fill a role that the team desperately needs.
0: So we were talking about Killing him a little bit earlier of like replacing him with a guard. One, the last guy for me on the scrap heap um, would be Ty Jerome, who's currently playing for the Golden State Warriors. They're not playing him in the playoffs, but during the regular season, Ty Jerome played 45 games, started two of them, 18.1 minutes per game and scored 6.9 points per game, pulled in 1.7 rebounds, dished out three assists to just 0.7 turnovers, 0.5 steals, blocks shooting splits were 54.6% from two 38.9% from three and then 92.7% from that free throw line. He's listed at six foot five, 195 pounds, which I hope is true. I was a big fan of his and that whole Virginia team that won the NCAA title a few years back with the Andre Hunter and Kyle guy. Um, Mamadi, Diakite, Kihei Clark uh, were all on that team. Our guy Braxton Key, I think was on that team as well. Shout out Braxton Key. I wish you were still here to be in the big man unit. But uh, man, he was the guy that, that was the point guard for that team and one of the tough three-point shot makers. Drafted by Phoenix where he played badly and they moved on from him after the first year. Wound up in OKC where he played well that second year. Really shot well from three, 42.3% from three. And then the next year in Oklahoma City played terribly, shot 37.8% from the entire field. So it's like maybe he shot himself out of a job and shot himself out of the league. Ends up on Golden State where, shockingly, works out very well for them in that second unit to play a total of 816 minutes, which is the most minutes he's played in his NBA career, and again the shooting splits of 54.6, 38.9, 92.7 percent from the free throw line for a 59.4% true shooting to go with 22.1 assist percentage, 14.9 usage, and then the turnover rate has always, always, always been low. Uh 10.3 percent. He knows how to take care of the ball. He knows how to shoot. He knows how to run the point at 6'5", 195. He can also slide over the shooting guard position. This is one of three players I think the Pistons should identify as like, yo, we need to bring in this guy to push Killian out um, for right now. And comes out of Virginia, so you know he knows how to play defense. Anybody that comes out of Virginia under Tony Bennett, that's the one skill that I believe in them. And I know that they have because of the way that that system is run. They play this like constricting defense of knowing rotations first and foremost, which is why guys like Malcolm Brogdon, DeAndre Hunter, Mike Scott. Um, what's his name? Brooklyn. Um, why am I forgetting his name? But I mean, there are a bunch of Virginia guys that come out that Automatically, not to play defense, and I really, yeah, I and, really believed in Ty Jerome.
1: And we were we were talking about Golden State in their two ways for a different reason before we started recording. But I think it's it's a good point because they used their two ways and played them more than they played their young guys because they had to win and it's going to be interesting to watch Detroit next season when they talk about how serious they are about winning because winning requires sometimes some of the younger guys playing less because young guys make a lot of mistakes and you lose games that way. And I think golden state is a good example that some of their young guys didn't develop because Steve Kerr was happier playing, um, uh, Jeremy Lamb was the other one that he was playing on their two-way. And I just Anthony, I heard Anthony Golden Lamb. State. Oh, Anthony Lamb, sorry. And I heard, um, you know, Golden State fans complaining all the time because they were giving those guys minutes and they shouldn't be playing and all this stuff. But it's like, you know, they're for their goals of what they had to do, that that was the, the price, you know?
0: Yeah, and Ty Jerome, 25 years old, still a younger guy, but also been around enough to know, like, hey, this is what I got to do. Obviously, on Golden State, knows how to fit in there. He was the 11th man to played the 11th most minutes out of everybody on Golden State. So he's not like the top reserve, but fit into his role well when they called him up in 45 games. Uh, it's enough to make a difference. And. What we talked about too, before recording is like these two way guys that they bring up like that, they do all this also. So it's like a break class in case of emergency. So they have real experience and real game action that if somebody goes down in the playoffs, bam, they have the, these guys that knew what to do because they've been in that situation in the regular season. So they know the system, they know who to go to and where to defer to and how to run the plays. Yeah.
1: So, no, I, you
0: gave, you gave us a bunch of good names. I'm going to look up a bunch of these
1: guys from the show, watch some tape, and then, uh, I'll get back to you and give you, give you my opinion. I'm going to have to spend probably 20 minutes figuring out that one guy's name.
0: So, yeah, from the G League, Lewis King on the Sixers, John Butler from the Trailblazers. And then our guy, Stanley Moody, shout out Stanley Moody on the Motor City Cruise. Hopefully he comes up to the big roster next year. And then the undrafted free agents that are probably going to be out there this 2023 NBA draft. David Singleton out of UCLA. Antoine Davis from Detroit Mercy. Ricci Akabundu Ihu from Memphis. And then. Uh, yes. In the free agent pool, we should have Derek Jones Jr., Lonnie Walker IV., and Ty Jerome. Definitely those guys should be ones that any team looking to, to sign guys that are just gonna work. They should be on their radar there. If you need more athleticism, Bam, there's Derek Jones Jr. If you need somebody who's young, who like, yo, I think he could probably end up being more successful and carve out a better role for us, Lonnie Walker and then Ty Jerome, man, we just need a second unit point guard that plays defense and doesn't waste shots, knows how to run the second unit. You can't do any better than that if you're looking for a veteran minimum guys.
1: Yeah, well, well done. I'm I'm impressed with, with your work around the, the edges. We need to... We need to get you some time in front of Troy Weaver.
0: Well, we'll see. You never know. Like you <laughs> you feel confident, you pull out the numbers and then the next year somebody just bombs, right? That That's the, the beauty of it. I always say that being a, a scout in any sporting, you know, venture, it's like the one job where if you get a 25%, you probably are pretty good at your job, right? Or if you're and even if you got 50%, you're probably like the best evaluator that's ever lived. It's so hard to know to hit and then especially with draft it's like you have to maneuver yourself to get the guys that you actually want to get it's not just about whether or not you like them it's whether you are actually in a position to draft them
1: yes and and i think that's one of the reasons that if you just want to be fair it's hard to be too critical of troy weaver because it's a difficult job like and he hasn't done a bad job but i think I think we can start to just look at directions where we can say, I have doubts. I have concerns. I'm very nervous. And for me, it still comes down to, he may be able to judge talent, but I still don't know he can construct a roster. And that is my biggest concern is constructing a roster. And people will say he's still only in talent acquisition mode. So we don't have to worry about that. If you want to win, the roster has to fit and it has to work.
0: Yeah. And part of why we came up with this Scrap Heap podcast is of one of the beefs we have with Troy Weaver that like can be a legitimate concern. It's like, man, he really hasn't been able to pick up somebody off the Scrap Heap the way these other teams are. I mean, yes, the Heat and the Warriors are like the top of the top and maybe it's an unfair advantage or maybe it's an unfair comparison to be like, hey, why aren't you like the best talent evaluators out there? But there are more and more teams that do this. The Cleveland with Dean Wade and Lamar Stevens, Memphis with a John Concar, Oklahoma City with like Keenrick Williams and Isaiah Joe, uh, Philadelphia even with guys like Jeremy Grant and, and Rashawn Holmes, and then um, Denver there they picked up guys along the way like a Will Barton and just a couple other dudes you know that that other teams kind of. Looked aside or didn't really think too much about it. I know Monty Morris got drafted by them, but I, he got drafted incredibly late and was another guy that that people thought, nah, the defense isn't really going to be there. Like, yeah, I know he can run point, but whatever. So the best teams are able to win on the margins. That's something that we still hope. Weaver can turn around and do because he's definitely done a better job, I think, at the whole tank race than somebody like Philadelphia who was just like, forget it. Let's just win 10 games every year. We don't care. We draft three centers, so we don't care. I think he's done a, a much better job of still maintaining that position every year, but also taking stock of like, hey, this is where we are here. Let's try to do this this year. And then when injuries happen, he's just like, forget it. I don't care. Let's just try and get ourselves in position to get the best draft pick.
1: Great work, my friend. Great work.
0: Great work back to you as well, Andy. Thank you so much for always being here, being the support, and being able to generate all these ideas and, and bounce them off me. So, uh, where can the people find you once more, Andy?
1: You can find me on Twitter, and hopefully, we get some happy bouncing ping pong balls going our way, and we get the, the lottery pick that we want because then, uh, then once we have a direction, it'll be a lot easier to see. You'll start seeing me put in more work right now. I'm, I'm taking a lot of time off and enjoying enjoying playoff basketball, which when you watch it, sometimes it really makes you see how far the Pistons are from from actually getting this thing together.
0: Gee, why would you take a break from such a wonderful season? Right. <laughs> <laughs> 15 I, days away, I, 15 days away from the lottery. So any, any lottery fans of lottery teams out there, 15 days away.
1: Man, I, I actually did enjoy the season until we got to like the last maybe 20 games. Other than that, I enjoyed watching Duran and Ivy develop and it was still good. I, I enjoyed the basketball. There's things I didn't like, but it, it wasn't bad.
0: Yeah, for me, it was when beef stew went down. Then it became more of like the like, woof and that's just a personal thing like him and Kate are the ones that I like to see and to, to really look at their minutia and just follow them instead of following the ball every night um, so yeah that was that was kind of a personal bummer for me but I did also enjoy watching the, the young guys develop so thank you again to Andy for being on again this is a weekly thing we'll continue to talk Pistons and other related stuff hopefully next time we do this the Pistons will have a head coach but we shall see so thank you again Andy and we are out of here We're going to